0: Good morning. I'm delighted to be here with you today and for the opportunity to uh, preach in chapel. Thank you, Pastor Van Geldern, for the gracious invitation, and Pastor Gilmore as well. And uh, Brother Himes and Brother Himes, it's good to see you guys back there. And uh, I greeted Brother Swanson earlier. He came and greeted me, so good to see him as well and some familiar faces. And it's just a joy to be here. I do bring you greetings from Faith Baptist Church of Avon. Uh, I haven't been there for several weeks now with our travel schedule but they moved in the new building. They did. And uh, this was the, today, or yesterday rather, was the third Sunday in the new building. And it was also the dedication day. They called it Welcome Home Sunday. They invited back a lot of former staff. They had 778 in church yesterday. And uh, just a wonderful day. The new building is just beautiful. And the people are excited. And some good things are happening. So um, let's get right into the, to the scripture. Ms. Burnshine, good to see you as well. And uh, others. Galatians chapter 6, would you turn there, please? Galatians 6. <clears throat> I'm going to preach a message that I think is applicable uh, to the day that we are in, I mean today, and also the time in which we're living. Uh, and also uh, makes, of course, some missions applications with this. But I'll begin reading here in a moment in Galatians 6, verse 11. I'd like to stop and pray before I read. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the precious gift of Your Word. What a joy it is to have it in our language. We can open it every day and hear from You. We thank You for the exhaustiveness of the Scripture that even reading a passage we may have read many times, there is still very rich truth that will speak to our heart and stir our spirit. I pray we will be stirred by Your Word today. Lord, I declare absolute dependence upon You for the next few moments. And I trust and rest confidently in the power of the word that will go forth this morning. I ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Galatians 6, verse 11. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. (coughs) But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I want to take my title from verse 17, The Marks of the Lord Jesus. I'll refer frequently to other verses here, and we'll look at a couple of other passages very near to this one. So please keep your Bible open. Every day, worldwide, at least eight Christians are killed for their faith. In Nigeria, from January through April of this year, Just three months, four months, January through April, 620 Christians were killed. It is recorded that more than 32,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria since 2015. Ethiopia, from July through September of this year, over 500 Christians have been killed. Every week, 180 church buildings are attacked or destroyed. Every month, more than 300 Christians are imprisoned. Many of those are physically beaten or tortured. A quarter of a billion Christians live under high to severe levels of persecution around our world today. I want you to remember some of those numbers in just a few moments. Paul, in verse 17, makes a very emphatic declaration here when he says, I, the pronoun there is emphatic, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He's drawing a stark contrast here between himself and some false teachers. You probably know the theme of Galatians is dealing with what we call the Judaizers and their false teachings. They had begun subverting the Galatian Christians into believing two things. Number one, that circumcision was necessary for salvation. Paul dealt very firmly with that in chapter 1 when he said, but though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that we have preached, let him be accursed. They were also saying that Paul was not a true apostle because he had not walked with the Lord during his days on earth. In the flesh. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, if you want to turn there very quickly, <clears throat> and I think verses 11 through 20 give a very strong defense of Paul's apostleship, and I won't read all of them, but notice in verse 11 it says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul is using that phrase there, I certify you. If I were saying that, I might say to you, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. And, and he talks, goes on to talk in these verses about how he was separated from his mother's womb and how God chose him to preach the gospel and called him by his grace. And in verse 20, he says again, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. So Paul's defending his apostleship. He defended salvation by grace through faith. He's defending his apostleship and he's contrasting himself with these Judaizers. In our text, chapter 6, in verse 12, notice the references to them or to they as, as we find here. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, Galatians 6, 12, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. In verse 13, he says at the end of the verse, they desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. So the contrast Paul is making is they are looking to escape suffering. They are looking to avoid persecution. They are looking to fit in with the mainstream of religious thinking. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to be bold witnesses for Christ. They're trying to blend Judaism and Christianity together so that it's not so different and they are not so odd or strange in this world. For them, it's about avoiding persecution and suffering. For them, verse 13, it's about uh, authority and image and success. But the gist of the idea here is they are avoiding pure and clear identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 14, a very bold statement here, but God forbid that I would glory in anything but Jesus Christ. I'm not going to glory in you. I'm not going to glory in fitting in with the mainstream of religious thought. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I will take my stand for Christ, come what may. They're not, but I wear it, and I wear it proudly. I want to talk about the literal explanation of these marks, and then I want to talk about the spiritual application for us. Before I give you those two main thoughts, I'd like to bring this to a a personal application right at the beginning. The question for us is we face coming days. I'm not a gloom and doom type preacher, I'm not a pessimist, but I remember my dad saying when I was a kid, my dad's been preaching for almost 60 years now. I remember my dad saying when I was a kid, the days are going to come when preachers who stand behind their pulpits and preach the clear truth of scripture will face imprisonment and persecution. And you've seen the chaos happening in our country in the last few months and it's not trending positively for God's people, is it? There are targeted efforts, there are organized efforts against the church, against Christian thinking, against Christian ideas, against the Word of God. We long ago purely rejected the Word of God from our government and our schools and we're beginning to pay that price. And so it's it's not looking positive for us as believers. And I'm not suggesting we're all going to die for our faith next week, but I am suggesting that we need, we need the determination of the Apostle Paul to bear in our bodies the marks of the Lord Jesus. I have to tell you this very sadly that many people are already compromising. I just talked to a pastor this week, uh, last Sunday, um, this yesterday, no, two days ago. Uh, on Sunday I talked to a pastor and he, he described two churches in his town that have incorporated Uh, curriculums that employ this critical race theory that's being propagated out there now, trying to retrain their people concerning these social justice issues. Many people are already compromising. They're finding room in their teaching and in their doctrine for some of these liberal agendas. And I believe also in coming days the church is going to be purged. I think we're going to find out who the true followers of Christ are. I want to give you an encouraging note before I get into this too, and I want to tell you we need not fear what might be coming. We need not fear it. Jesus said to the suffering persecuted church of Smyrna, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. He told us in Luke chapter 12 that when we are brought into the synagogues and before the magistrates that we are to take no thought for what we're going to say or how we're going to answer because the Holy Spirit at that moment will give you the grace and, and, and will we'll teach you what to say. So we need not fear what's coming, but we cannot walk into it blindly. We cannot walk into it in ignorance and apathy. We need to walk into whatever we're going to face in coming days. We need to walk into it with a determination to stand strong for the Lord. The literal explanation of these marks. Very quickly, let's talk about the source of the marks. They were literal marks. Go with me, please, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, a very familiar passage, I'm sure. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. And we find here another situation, really, where Paul is defending his apostleship and his ministry. And he contrasts himself again in verse 23 of, of 2 Corinthians 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. And then he begins to describe some of the suffering that he's gone through. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, In prisons more frequent. Now let's stop and just note a couple of these things. In prisons more frequent. In Acts 16, the Bible says, when they had laid many stripes upon them, speaking of Paul and Silas, they cast them into the inner prison and put their feet fast in the stocks. You may have heard this phrase growing up. Somebody would fall and bump their head hard on something and you would say, that's going to leave a mark. You heard that before? That's going to leave a mark. In prisons more frequent left marks upon Paul. The next one, it says there in verse 23, it says, in deaths oft. Now, that describes, I think, many different situations. And I think one time Paul did die. I think it's very possible he died. He describes that himself. For I knew a man, uh, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, caught up into the third heaven. I believe Paul possibly died there and was, was, was brought back to life by the Lord after the stoning at Lystra. But the, word, the phrase here, in death's oft, doesn't mean Paul died frequently. But here's what I think it does mean. It means that Paul frequently looked the possibility of death right square in the face. That he frequently found himself in situations where standing for Christ and preaching the gospel of Christ was putting him in a place where he was, he was threatened with his own safety and his own life. And Paul stood in the face of that. Paul never backed off. He never cowered in the face of it. He stood strongly. He did not capitulate and forsake his faith, but he stood strongly for Christ, even facing death often. It's a sobering reality to face death, isn't it? You may have never been in a situation like that, but seven six years ago I had malaria in the hospital for five, seven days. Five of those in cardiac ICU came extremely close to death. And when it was all over and my wife explained to me everything that I had been through and God restored my health, the the idea that I had come so close to death was a very sobering reality that my life almost ended. And Paul looked at that many times in his life according to that phrase. Notice also it says in verse 24 here, uh, in in the middle of the verse, it says, in stripes above measure, and then in verse 24, that was verse 23, verse 24, of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one. So 195 stripes from the Jews, in stripes above measure in all the places where he had traveled, and those were inflicted usually with a long leather strap cut into strips at the end with pieces of bone or metal or other things, and you would definitely be able to say about that, that's going to leave a mark. Thrice beaten with rods, I saw video footage of Christians being beaten to death with rods in the streets of Orissa, India just a few years ago. Their bodies were thrown into trucks, a big, what you would call a cane or a walking stick. These people were beaten to death with those rods. Paul was beaten three times with rods, and that certainly left some marks. In the the next verse here, he says, once was I stoned. Verse 25, once was I stoned. We may get the idea that a person being stoned is people just picking up rocks and hurling them at a victim some distance away. But the setting of a stoning would be to bring the victim down in a place below the people, the people who want to execute him, and they would pick up boulders as heavy as they could lift and thrust them down on the body down below, crushing bones and, and breaking ribs and crushing skulls and eventually uh, the life of the victim uh, being taken. Paul continues this passage here with, I suffered shipwreck, uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day in the deep, and journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen. He goes on to describe the many sufferings, uh, many different types of suffering that he went through, and all of those leaving marks upon him. That's the source of the marks. Let's talk about the, the significance of the marks. There, there, not only is, is this a literal description of what has happened to Paul, But I believe Paul was relating it to a common custom that everyone would have understood in that day. When he he spoke of being marked, he was speaking of something people would understand. And there are four possible reasons that a person would be marked or branded. The first being for ownership. Slaves were branded just like you would brand cattle. Slaves were marked as belonging to someone. And Paul saw himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. He's using this metaphor of a slave being branded by his owner to say, I am owned by Jesus Christ. Seventeen times in Paul's epistles, he introduces himself as a slave or a servant of Jesus Christ, a bond slave. Our perspective ought to be that we don't own our lives, but he owns us. Amen. Amen. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price." Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. And that's quite a contrast to this me and my rights mentality that we're living in today. The second reason a person might be branded or marked would be for allegiance and loyalty. It is said that the soldiers of Alexander the Great had an A branded on the back of their hand to to mark their allegiance and their service to their general. Paul saw himself marked as a soldier of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy, he said, Thou therefore, chapter 2, verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul saw himself not only as a servant to the Lord in this metaphor, he saw himself as a soldier of the Lord. A third reason a person might be marked would be for their religious beliefs. A a person might be branded by their priests in a pagan temple somewhere as a mark of devotion and fidelity to the gods that they worship. You could see that today with with tribal peoples having bones through their nose and markings all over their face and their bodies to show their deference and their worship of the gods that they serve. Paul was also marking himself as a devoted, loyal follower of Jesus Christ, not afraid to be known as following Christ. He said, I am marked uh, to follow him by his love that constrains me. I am not only compelled to follow him by that love, but I am confined to walk in the narrow way because of that love. A fourth reason that a person might be marked would be for shame. Criminals were marked to show everyone who sees this person from now on can see this person committed a crime and they suffered the punishment of it, but it was a mark of stigma and shame. Cain was marked by the Lord. I think maybe that's the first time that happened in the scripture. But Paul saw himself marked with this stigma of Christ. And he was willing to wear it. He was willing to bear it. What he's saying here is, is by the use of this metaphor, he's saying, look, I bear these marks, this stigma. I don't mind you knowing that I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I don't mind you knowing I'm a loyal soldier and I give all my allegiance to him and my love belongs to him. And whatever shame Jesus bears, I'm going to bear it with him. They're not willing to do that, but I'm going to follow Jesus come what may. Now let's move to the spiritual application. This literal description of these marks up on Paul's body does not apply to most of us. And perhaps in some ways in your life, maybe with your own family, uh, I don't know your stories, but maybe there, is, there have been situations in your life where it hurt you to stand up for Christ. Maybe you lost friends, maybe family members turned against you. But I'd be really surprised if anybody in this room could lift up a sleeve and show a scar where we suffered for Christ. So what is the spiritual application then of this passage for us? What should this declaration of Paul encourage in us? What can people see in us that provide evidence for them that we are bearing in our bodies the marks of the Lord Jesus and in our lives? I want to give you three very simple thoughts right here. The first one is faithfulness to Christ. We ought to wear the mark of faithfulness to Christ. Notice, please, in Galatians 6, verse 14. Let me just take this, first of all, as a general statement here. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't want to be persecuted. They're doing everything they can to avoid it, to fit in with the world in which they live. Uh, They want to glory in your flesh. They want to be men of, of, of repute and renown. But God forbid that I would do anything but prove to you with my life that I am faithful to Jesus Christ. Can we be marked by that faithfulness? Leonard Ravenhill wrote these words. Look closely at Paul, at that cadaverous countenance, that scarred body, that stooped figure of a man chastened by hunger, kept down by fasting, plowed with the lash, that body brutally stoned at Lystra and starved in many places, that skin pickled for 36 hours in the Mediterranean Sea. And add to this list danger upon danger and then multiply it with loneliness. Finally count in the 195 stripes and the three shipwrecks and the three beatings with rods and the stoning and the prison record and the deaths so often that, it, that the count was lost. And let's compare that to Christianity today. Today, many people are more interested in medals and awards than in scars. Most of us want to be popular Christians and well-liked and accepted by the mainstream, and we really know so little of Christian suffering. I don't fault us for that because we've lived in a free country all of these years. And I think about this often. The statistics I gave you a few moments ago about people who are dying for their faith every day And about people who live under these high to severe threats of religious persecution every day facing the possibility that because they are followers of Christ, they may suffer physically at the hands of unbelievers. And I think about this often. With that going on in our world, Christians today who are bearing in their body the marks of the Lord, why do we get off so easy? Why have we had it so good? There's plenty of things you could answer that with. It's the grace and the mercy of God for us. But what about the grace and mercy of God for those who are suffering? We grumble and complain about the least of things. And we've never had to face the real threat of bearing in our body physical marks for the Lord Jesus. I've heard this said several times in the last few months. I'm not being unkind, but I've heard this said, it's going to really get bad in America Jesus must be coming back soon. And I believe Jesus is coming soon, don't you? I think we ought, to, we ought to live with that imminent reality in our hearts. He could come back before this chapel hour is over. But my question is, and I'm not being unkind, but my question is why does Jesus have to come back and deliver us? Why does he have to come back and keep our lives easy? When people all over this world are dying for him. When, when believers are being burned for him. I saw video footage one time of believers being pushed into a kind of a, a swale or a ditch in, the, in this, this locale and, and, and limbs and leaves were thrown upon them and they were set fire and the Christians were trying to crawl out and people surrounding them were shoving them back into the fire. People are dying for their faith and Jesus has to come back and deliver us. I'm, I'm not being unkind but we have been so spoiled. We have been so conditioned that that we have a right to freedom and we have a right to religious liberty. We don't have this right. What we do have the obligation to do is to be faithful to Jesus. Come what may, faith of our fathers living still, in spite of dungeon fire and sword. Oh, how our hearts beat high with joy whenever we hear that glorious word. The next verse or one of the verses of that song says this, These are powerful words. Our fathers chained in prisons dark were still in heart and conscience free. How sweet would be their children's fate if they, like them, could die for thee. Faith of our fathers, the chorus says, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. Is that our way of thinking? I fear that many in the church, generally speaking, the church is like the young man on the phone with his sweetheart, who said, I love you more than life itself. I worship the ground you walk on. I would wade through swamps of crocodiles just to be at your side. I would fight wild beasts just to hold your hand. I would walk barefoot on hot coals to spend time with you. And I'm going to come over and see you tonight if it isn't raining. (laughs) Talk is cheap, but commitment to Jesus is needed, isn't it? We ought to determine, as our Lord encouraged us, don't fear it, and don't worry about what you will say. I heard this when I was was a kid, and the the, uh, communism was a real threat, and and, uh, Russia was a real threat to taking over the United States. Some of you uh, faculty members will remember that. I heard, what if they walked in here and put a gun to your head and said, denounce Christ or you're going to die? What would you say? Well, Jesus said, don't worry about that, Right? The Holy Ghost will help you with what to say when that moment comes. But we can't can't think about that scenario without thinking, I want to be faithful. I want to stand true to Christ. In medieval times, when knights were brave and they followed their kings into battle, the king would often lead them into the battle and the king would head toward the hottest part of the battle where the arrows were flying and the swords were flashing and the king would fight right in the middle of that. And the knights wanted to be close to the king. When the victory was won and they returned to the castle for a sumptuous feast, they sat around the table eating and the story or the the talk would inevitably turn to the wounds of battle. And the king would lift a sleeve and show where an arrow pierced his arm or, or lift his robe and show where a sword gashed his leg. And the knights seated around him would then begin to talk about their wounds that they had suffered in the battle. And others a little bit greater distance from the king who had no wounds to show, you might think they would say, I'm glad I escaped. I didn't get cut. I didn't get shot. I'm okay. I made it through another battle. That was not their attitude at all. They hung their heads in humiliation and shame. And they asked themselves these questions. Was I not close enough to the king? Was I not brave enough? I have no wounds to show. Amy Carmichael, 50 years a missionary in India, said these words No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? Captain, beloved, battle wounds were thine. Let me not wonder if some hurt be mine. Rather, O Lord, let my deep wonder be that I may share a battle wound with thee. So two things before I get to the second point. Can we be faithful in this land of freedom? Can we be marked by faithfulness to Jesus Christ regardless of who likes it or who disapproves? Can we be faithful in this land of freedom? And the second application is so powerful. Can some of us not go to places where they are under threat of persecution and labor alongside those who are trying to preach the gospel of Christ and let's change this world for Jesus Christ? Can we be brave enough to go where we may have to suffer? Faithfulness to Christ. Number two, I want you to see this, fearlessness for Christ. In verse 14, notice please the second half of the verse. He said, By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. In Jesus' high priestly prayer for us, he said, I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them. He warned us frequently as he did in John 15 verse 18 and following, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. And the world doesn't love you because you're not of this world. Paul could say these words because he had lost his fear of the approval of men. This is so powerful right here. He had lost his fear of the world and what they think. He had, as one preacher said, he got a divorce from public opinion. He had severed his heart's affection from a desire for the approval of this world. Jesus said to us in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world. First he said, you're the salt of the earth. And salt preserves, yes, but sometimes salt irritates. Um, He said, you're the light of the world and light illuminates, but light also reveals the depravity of men. For men love darkness rather than light. So what we need to realize is with the Apostle Paul here that the world is not going to love us because what we believe and what we preach and what we teach is directly opposed to the perverted bent of this world. They don't like us. They don't like what we stand for. I believe there is concerted effort going on right now to destroy the church. I know it's spiritual warfare. I know Satan's behind it. But there are things taking place in our country right now that are so anti-Christian that it might cause us to fear if we learned all about it. But listen to me. We cannot be fearless for Christ if we are fearful of men. And I wonder if half the world is still unreached because we are trying to advance comfortable Christianity. We're afraid to offend anyone. And I'm not talking about an abrasive spirit. I'm not talking about an unkind attitude. I'm not talking about an in-your-face type of religion. I'm just talking about standing firm and strong for Jesus Christ and realizing that that will not bring the approval of men. It will not make us liked in this world. The cause of Christ is suffering because of the lack of faithful, fearless soldiers and servants of the Lord. We need a revival of people who will die to this world and and abandon themselves to Jesus Christ and live passionately for Him. Listen, we've been delivered from this present world. We've escaped the corruption that is in this present world through lust. And our citizenship is in another country and I believe it grieves God when we try to fit in down here. I was a pastor for 16 years, and I I know what it's like to be lied about. But I never suffered. I never suffered deeply for the cause of Christ. Jesus, uh, uh, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 3 to consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You know this song Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his name or blush to uh, own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? No, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain supported by thy word. Faithfulness to Christ. Fearless for Christ. And number three, focused on the cross. Verse 14 again. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gloried in his identity with the cross. He gloried in the fact, listen to this, he gloried in the fact that he could suffer alongside Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.10 is my life's verse. And we love this verse. We love the first part of it. Uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul gloried in the fact that he could bear in his body the marks of following Jesus. Why? Because he was focused on the cross of Christ and the gospel message that this world so desperately needs. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 and 11. He said, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Everybody glories in something, and we need, to gro- we need to glory in Jesus. Amen? Paul could have gloried in his education. It is said that he had a, the equivalency of a double Ph.D. learning at the feet of Gamaliel. He could have gloried in his aristocracy, his blue blood heritage, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I believe Paul could have gloried in his preaching. Maybe never, There maybe never has been a greater preacher than Paul. I don't know. I love the story of Acts chapter 19, where certain Jews were were fancying themselves to be exorcists, and they went about trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And the demons responded to them and said, do you remember this story? Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? (laughs) Paul was known in hell for his powerful preaching. Paul could have gloried in his preaching ability. Uh, I would love to have heard him preach. I don't know if it would have been a joyful experience to hear him preach or not because he, the way he described his own ministry. He could have gloried in his achievements. Paul went into a, a region and in just a few months' time walked away with a church having been planted and believers there and came back later to, to an appoint elders to serve in that church and lead that church. He wrote half the New Testament. He could have gloried in all those things, but he said, God forbid that I glory in anything but my loyal service and my my position as a soldier in his army, my mark of allegiance and loyalty to him, I will glory in the cross, submission to Jesus Christ, and my following of him. May that be our focus this morning. Faithful to Christ, fearless for Christ, and focused on the cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of this truth. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul and the inspiration it is to us 2,000 years later. I pray that you will help us to face the coming days, whatever they are, with a faithful mindset and a fearless mindset. Help us to focus on you and dying to self and living all for thee. In Jesus' name, amen.